I spent a long time being obsessed with trying to eat bugs to the point of like importing them from over east and stuff. But there's like weevil meal or something. So they dry them out and turn them into flour. So you don't even know they're bugs. It's just a bunch of like protein, basically protein powder. It, it looks like flour and you could bake with it. Um, but it's just ground up bugs. So you don't necessarily know they're bugs. I really think that's going to happen. Honestly, in my lifetime, I think like bug supplements or like insect meal is going to be like a thing because you can farm them vertically and like just pile them on and they're so easy to farm like they're really hard to stop them growing if they've got food you know what I mean like and you can like stack them high like you can't stack cows 30 meters high but you can make an insect farm that's that big. Annie and I keep talking about getting a mealworm farm. And insects don't have feelings. (laughs) Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, they're not as adorable as cows anyway, so, you know, stuff like yeah. that. They don't register pain in any way that we understand it. Like, they don't have all the, all the receptors that we know cause pain in us, so... All those big, brown, adorable eyes. Or souls. I've been reading this cyberpunk trilogy... Uh, it's not cyberpunk, it's science fiction, and I'm up to the third one called Freeware... There's this company called, I think it's meant to sound like a bad translation of an Indian word, and it's called the Emperor Staghorn Beetle Larvae Company Limited. And I think it's supposed to be like in native Indian, it's just like the Farabata company or whatever. But like because it's awkwardly translated into English, it gets long and weird. So I looked it up, and there's this, um, the Staghorn Beetle Larvae is just a big maggoty looking thing. But it fucking, every time it molts, which is four times in its life cycle, it bursts out of its own face like a chest burster to get, like, new skin. I've just got random palm cards with, like, dumb D&D shit scribbled on them that I guess I'll compile at one point. And one of them is just, like, <laughs> in capitals, <laughs> bursting out of its own face four times in its own life cycle. Like, bugs are great. More bugs. I remember what we were going to talk about now. Oh, yeah? This is Renfield's Cast, the Auntie Donna of retro RPG podcasts. I'm spraying shit out of all my holes. <laughs> With me today is Oliver Kello. How are you doing, Ollie? Spraying shit just out of my mouth for the moment. I'm sure we can fill up a nice podcast. I hope we have something to fill this podcast with, but before then, I just need to say a quick word about our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by basicredrpg.blogspot.com. Basic Red is an old-school RPG blog by Daniel Dean, which covers a number of excellent and confusing topics. By far my favorite thing on this blog are the dungeons. From the rambling collection of the Sky Thieves, to the Doomsday Bride in Gargoyle City, and the many necks of Vodemarsh. Man, these things are good. Doomsday Bride in Gargoyle City is about a whole city being mentally coerced into this demon wedding that will tear the world apart. Vodemarsh is a castle where there's this one guy in it, but he keeps... he, like, keeps dying and reappearing so if you you have to put his he- his different heads onto his body 
as you find them throughout the um whoa persistent death with reincarnations so you can collect the same like you can keep his older iterations is that yes and oh, cool well they're, they're different levels of insane and they're all completely different people and who they are which head is currently on the corpse of the Vode marsh or sorry no you you the you get pulled into the dungeon because you get the Vode marsh's head and then as you go through the dungeon you find like the different the bodies of his different lives and then as you put the head onto that body then the entire dungeon changes to match the will of who he was through this thousand year incarnation cool this reminds me of planescape torment a little bit yeah like planescape torment except that you have to fight the fucker instead of be him well thanks daniel dean i've read quite a bit of this as well just in passing and it's super rad i don't think i've read any of those particular ones but uh they sounded like some really good hooks especially the deadhead one cool reminded me of um was it alfred jerry we were talking about the other day with the um he wrote this amazing book called locus solus which is based on like a pun in another language and then extrapolating the pun backwards over three metaphor iterations so that you've lost the he's got this like weird formula for making bullshit absurd stories and uh locus solace is his great trip where it starts off as a tour of some rich guy's house and all of a sudden they're standing on pillars made out of compacted human teeth talking to a severed head floating in a vat of oxygenated liquid in which a hairless cat swims around creating static electricity which revivifies the head which then orates the thing it said in its last day and it's super weird and it just felt like a DD dungeon and the author is even more insane than the content so like whoopee i think it was a midget who like rode around on bicycles with two pistols and had a half-size house and it's so cool anyway stay on topic What's the topic, Robin? We haven't even got there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to talk about monster manuals, particularly because I've just been reading the Mythos dossiers, which you left lying <laughs> around my house. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I actually had a couple questions that I wanted to ask you about in regards to the books that it's based on. I guess I'll have a little ramble because Charles Stross, who wrote The Laundry Files, which is a, a series of books that is basically the British occult secret service. So he does that very British thing of making huge labyrinthine bureaucratic things. So they're really civil servants, like they're always signing forms and having meetings and loathing PowerPoint. Um, meanwhile, fighting basically the Elder Gods and Cthulhu and vampires and all that kind of stuff. So it's a great novel series. And they have created a RPG of this game. But yeah, it seems a lot of like paper trails. So you, as the DM, you're encouraged to like print out fake faxes and old email archives and things pulled from manuscripts. And they're supposed to sleuth their way through and then hopefully shoot a space unicorn with a... Oh god, his unicorns are so good. They're like, um, there's a story called Equoid, which is E-Q-U-U-O-I-D. I think it's free online. He released it through Tor, which is like an open thing sometimes. Um, yeah, and they're like, it's a horse with a parasitic space barnacle um, attached to its head, like a cone shell, which is um, the horn. And they're just these 
horrific space monster Cthulhu things, and I love it. So what, what did you think of the Mythos dossiers, which is a sort of monster manual? Was it a good experience reading that? Yeah, it was. I made it all the way through. It was like reading a less good Fire on the Velvet Horizon for me. I really? Think. Wow. Yeah. Fire on the Velvet Horizon is quite dense. Yeah, no, I guess it is. It does appear to be like a, almost a scrapbook format, which is what the Mythos Dossiers is. Yeah, and rather than a lot of monster manuals, which are just portrayed as this is the boot elf. It lives in boots, and if you feed it nails, it'll like you. Its stats are as follows. Like, everything is portrayed from a viewpoint that you know. It's not like that weird god voice which simultaneously knows, like, a smattering of the tactics of a thing and, like... Yeah, it's more like a mad adventurer's journal. The reason that I perhaps found it less resonant than Fire on the Velvet Horizon is... Fire on the Velvet Horizon is probably one of my favorite books ever. It's just fucking great. But also, the monsters, there was a lot of, like, arcane description about, oh, what is this thing? What is this this strange beast? But they were all they were all monsters that were known to me. Like, they're all tropes. A lot of them, yeah, are, like, mythology. Yeah, yeah. true. So we've got, like, Shoggoths. We've got the Elder Ones. I mean, it was certainly interesting, the descriptions of them having these secret agent style reports about them but it also kind of seemed like it was a really obtuse way to describe something which i already knew what it was so it was fun especially with the code names and stuff it was fun to be like oh i get what that is finally it's a minotaur yeah yeah (laughs) if any one of those was something with which i wasn't already familiar then i think that would have been I know it would have been like a more legitimate experience of finding these files and being like, oh God, what the yeah, fuck what the is fuck this? What am I dealing with? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like that idea that you'd be playing an RPG, you'd see one thing once and then you just go, oh, okay, two of your party members died. You have this thing that you saw out the corner of your eye. You take that back to HQ, you say that, and then they're just like, oh, okay. Here's the file that we have on people who have seen that same yeah, thing, yeah. and that's it. And then you uh, pull the through old and go like, "Exploding eyes, demon!" Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, only known by the corpses it leaves behind and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess because it seems to be a gumshoe type of game, maybe you are supposed to just give them like, you probably don't see the monster till the very end. Quite often, it'll just be like a trail of clues. So once you've got it. It's probably pretty basic stuff. Then again, you're probably not armed with anything more than like pistols or whatever. The other area where I was kind of confused as far as an RPG usable thing went is that it was really cool that it was from all these different people's voices, right? You got all these different documents, which were like signed and labeled with the different authors and so stuff. So to, to reiterate for people who haven't read the book, it's basically set out like it'll be like opening a case file, you know, in the HQ. So you'd have your top press secret file and it's got reports from seven different people, none of which know the whole story. There'll be a interview from a guy who saw a cow murdered and then like a photograph taken from a spy satellite and a agent report. Yeah, so that's kind of it's that puzzle piece, put it all together. Um, scraps of information is how it's presented to the players and to the DM, basically. And as part of that, they have 
these named characters who are the authors of these different documents, but there's no through line for any individual characters in there. Like, I mean, yeah. part of it, I think, is because it's a very, like, Logcraftian horror thing where most of the people who are, are like dead or in, mad, are yeah. dead or insane and this is their last this is like this is what they saw and then they go blow their brains out afterwards or are all incinerated which is spooky yes but also yeah it seemed like that was kind of sing regardless though i did enjoy reading through it as a I'm glad because it's something it's, it's a bone I've been meaning to pick with you for some time, Robin. You just seem to have no interest in Lovecraft, and I, I just can't let that stand. <laughs> <laughs> nah, um, I'm I'm big into Lovecraft. Yeah, Lovecraft. Like I've read most of his stuff, a lot of them multiple times. I think I just like existential horror that isn't directly related to my own life. But yeah, like I think it's a lot deeper than people often give it credit for because there is a lot of bad spin-offs <laughs> and it has been used as a very shallow thing for a long time and then there's all the weird like he's racist, he's sexist and all that stuff which, yes, pretty demonstrably true, <laughs> but... Yeah, well, talking about how it's impossible to fund someone's racist motivations once they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, it's not yeah, going yeah, what are to you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Cthulhu has got this weird thing going on at the moment where it's like the adult Pokemon of the geek world. There's just this insane flood of Cthulhu versions of everything in like every board game. Almost all of so which many... misses the deep underlying horror and goes for like, it's got teeth and tentacles and that is like the least of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I've been exposed to a lot of that. <laughs> Which I, I I like I like big tentacle toothy monsters. I think they make good stock villains, like right up there with zombies. Oh, but they're not stock. Like I don't know. Okay, like Shoggoths are one of my favorites. Listening to the Laundry Files, trying to dissect what a Shoggoth is. There's a whole like genealogy. You can look up these amazing charts of the elder gods, the new gods, the subset. Like Cthulhu is just like head priest like he's not even up there on godhood he's just like the dude they left on earth to like call them if something goes weird shoggoths are basically like servitor species that were genetically engineered and then overthrew their creators and then like the laundry files goes away and they're trying to study them and they're like wow like it's got like tiny manipulators on a cellular level every cell of it that touches you is just like manually shredding all your cells even the most minor like Alien things are just pretty deep. <laughs> Long backstory is part of like these crazy cosmic length wars and like world destroying civilizations and yeah, it's it's big. It's big. <laughs> um, so seeing them as mooks is has always been something that is super weird to me. So do you not approve of the idea of codifying monsters in a monster ma manual style fashion, or is it? particularly the vast unknowable horrors of Lovecraft being, like, pinned down into googly-eyed monsters. One of my greatest discoveries beginning to DM was realising that everything is super interchangeable and that, like, it's much less locked down than I thought. I think that everything visual 
can be very variable and anything stat wise you can just keep as like a course i think you can go even further than that honestly like i think if every monster that your party ran into in a campaign ever just had the base stats of a bear and like maybe you took its hit die up or down depending on whatever nervous. <laughs> yeah and then you just you just give it like the special ability to make the combat like the different relevant special ability to make it interesting then you'd be fine like no one would know or care you weren't a big spelunky guy right no i didn't really click on spelunky yeah okay i'll make this quick there's a mod for spelunky where they replace all the monsters with an identical sprite of a blue frog just for giggles but it's amazing how you can always tell exactly what the monster is even though it looks exactly the same as all the others because their patterns of attack and movement and behavior are so distinct which is part of what makes it a really good game all the monsters have a thing about them which isn't just a a visual thing they're their own creatures like not in their stats or in their visuals anyway it's best that I not talk about Spelunky, because that shit can go for a while. I've just been reading a really nicely done zine called Broken System. It's got great monsters with, like, backstories and likes and dislikes and gods that you can summon that will grant you boons and so on. But it uses very uh, dramatic but also very interpretable language, so you don't need stats. And when it does do stats, it just says, um, speed was my favourite. It would just say as walking, as flying, as running, as slow roll, or something like that. Because I find that shit impenetrable, where it's like, 38 feet per unit, like, running, like, I'm just like, no, like, is it fast, is it, like, you know. <laughs> um, and does it do the um, armor class as chainmail, as plate yes, mail? Yes, yes, as chainmail, as, well? as plate, as whatever, so it just kind of gives yeah. you, like, at whatever your world, if you were covered in bits of chain, that's what it would do, <laughs> um, you know, as leather, yeah, as talons, and so on, so very neutral, and having really intricate, crazy, like, you know, it's that kind of, like, what the hell is this, and, because I, I really like those battles where you're clearly losing, or you're clearly not meant to, like, just pound it into submission, you're supposed to deconstruct what you're fighting while you're desperately trying to fend it off, they're quite fun, and giving, like, real curveball stats, you know, it's, um, five networked creatures that look organic but are actually robotic and share a health pool and watching them slowly get through that. Why is it attacking me? Oh, it's because my body type has more fat than the insect man. You're such a Lovecraft fanboy. You just want your characters to be slowly hunted and killed by things they cannot possibly understand and get one last <laughs> maniac insight before they're smothered by their own inevitable well, Basically, demise. that happened. I made a sort of liposuction nanotech into kind of ooze creatures a while ago in a Gamma World campaign, and it didn't actually kill anyone, but it took everyone down to very low health, and then the next session, almost all of them died. <laughs> it took them into bomb range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really was, like, they were really worried, and all the tanks who could actually take the damage, um, the enemies weren't interested in them because of the very specific nature of what it was, so they ended up having to, you know, look where it came from, like, what its lair was while fighting it or running away in this case. So yeah, it was it was quite entertaining to watch people sort of scrabbling and I have always wondered about these Full of Cthulhu, the Laundry Files is another one that are the, these kind of 
investigation type things and watching them do that while being murdered was quite fun. Um, but that's just my personal favorite way to do monsters is make them sort of weird riddles. I think that like having a, a monster of the week kind of thing where it's something that's never been seen before is just so valuable. What is really missing for me in most monster manuals is that the monsters are described like in that weird, entirely separate manner, like separate from the world kind of thing. I guess with the idea that you can place them anywhere. Yeah, they hold self-contained mythology kind of yeah. thing. Is that... If a monster doesn't have a place to be, if the werewolf doesn't have a town... Yeah, it's been terrorizing. <laughs> yeah. Like, if the minotaur doesn't have a maze, it's not a thing anymore. It's just a big, beefy shit kicker out in the woods that yeah, yeah. you aren't gonna spend any time on whatsoever i don't know it makes me wonder like about monster manuals altogether whether they should just all go die because when there's nothing gameable in there or like when they're when they're all basically filler it's like ah god you bastards that is true because it's almost metagame at that point like you want them playing like playing catch up like what is this not playing i know exactly statistically how many skeletons i can fight till they reach my dc class mm. and just if you're if you're not doing that investigation and if there's not that weird sense of mystery about the thing you're fighting then I don't know, it quickly becomes just like a bad war game. It's probably an OSR community thing where a lot of it is pretty bent on the meat grinder, the nega dungeon, the horror kind of vibe. Um, whereas a lot of it modern D&D and a lot of people do play to be a kind of Mary Sue, like we are over-equipped, overpowered, we are going to win. And not only did we know we were going to win before we began, we also knew what everything was before it be yeah, began. Yeah, which is like... it, uh, has its own, I guess, merits. But yeah, I guess that's that's the typical game, which nowadays monster manuals... Oh no, everything has to have one, but uh, I guess it's got its place there. Sometimes they're fantastic, if only for the art. I really love it when you can search... What was it? I had to look up a weird cactus horse recently and uh there was the original one which looked goofy as fuck and hilarious and then there was the um modern one which looked badass and sleek and well colored and like all this and then there was the one in between that was sort of like just a whole different like they were obsessed with like cyber tech at that point so it had a whole different vibe going on and i kind of like that there is a sort of silver lining in that you get this weird genealogy of what was cool that year or what artists they hired. I kind of like that. Something that I keep rediscovering and being really excited by, so I'm just going to remind myself here on tape for now and forever after, is that commissioning your own fantasy art from people who do some of my favorite RPG illustrations is really fucking cheap. Like, for instance... Uh, Scrap Princess drew us up a Renfield's cast logo. Oh, is that where that came from? <laughs> Thanks, Scrap Princess. Appreciate it. It's great, right? I love a little leech man. C compared to, like, hosting or the time we put in or something or anything. Or a single pair of microphones, yeah. <laughs> That's, like, the least of all our expenses. And, I don't know, it's it's... Yeah, I, it, I just was really excited. Like, I, I get that it is nice. It is nice to have 
finally finished books full of um, my stuff. But I guess I I have something of an addiction to to collecting those kind of things, and I'm trying to wean myself off it. Yeah. And that I think I I think I need I just need to tell myself that if I spent the money that on like finished products which are not my if they're not my favorite thing ever if i'd spent that t- like money on illustrating my own pet projects like which is like really very achievable um within my limited budget then i think that i would have something which i was far happier with and like less dismissive of anyway are there any last words you'd like to say on the cast what are, what are we talking about next time I'm still pretty keen on diseases. All also, right, well, diseases, that, um, maybe. brilliant Shadowrun cyber eclipse phase thing that was that Raggy did. Um, oh no, that me? was Zach Smith. Sorry, not again. Yeah, not that I guy mean, again. Uh, this um, this episode's sponsor may be Daniel Dean at Basic Red, but never forget that the show <laughs> is owned and controlled wholly and completely by Zach Smith. By, by and we big, nearly got big uh, Zach. the whole way through an episode without mentioning him. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so Robin sent me a thing that Zach has apparently just pumped out, which is uh, my biggest complaint with Eclipse play- Phase is it seems unplayable to me. To my own, like, you know, my, my what I want out of an RPG. And Shadowrun is very playable. I like the world, but I don't do well with really complicated seven-stage algorithms just to work out if you shot a guy or not. So apparently, like, tapping into my deepest desires and, like, dreams, uh, Zach has, like, pulled that out of my brain and turned it into a, like, really awesome, like, blog post that is basically an entire game that I could print out and play involving like sleevable bodies and you know in combat like 3d printing and weapon creation and hacking and biomorphs and all of my favorite sci-fi garbage awesome hopefully someone wants to play it with me (laughs) yeah i'm down uh but actually since we've finally gotten to zach and since this is the monsters cast i feel that we should mention that also on D&D with Porn Stars, Zach's rewriting of the monster manuals to be more good is very, very readable. Wait, of D&D classic manuals? or like Yeah, what? so it's photos of his copy of his monster manual, which has just gone like huge swaths of whiteout and then like scrolled <laughs> over yes. the top to <laughs> yeah. them weird. I'm going to see if I can remember so... Like, instead of some nebulous fluff about Banshee cries, he puts down... His rules for Banshees are, the first person to see a Banshee is the only person that can see it. The first person to hear a Banshee is the only person that can hear it. (laughs) The first, Like, stuff like this, so that the monster is compartmentalized and only one person has each piece of information. Wow, cool. Like, something that you've never... Like, that still fits the Banshee bill, but is nothing that you were expecting when you went hunting for the Banshee. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't continue it far past the C's, I think. He was doing, like, going through the whole thing alphabetically. But, yeah, there's 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 some good stuff in there. Um, 
Maybe you can help me out with this one, Robin. There is a blog out there somewhere. I know that narrows it down really well. Oh, yeah. Um, and he does these great... So it's something to do with those sort of dungeon ecologies and it's trying to work out the wider implications, but it's done in that style we were talking about where it's... So he'll have vampires. And then instead of saying this is a vampire in my head or in my campaign, it just has a list of like 10 to 20 for every single monster he does or she, whoever it is, it says, perhaps their heart is made of solid crystal and cannot be broken except by the reverberation of a bell. Or some say it's um, they're born from the lava pits of blah, blah, blah. And just has, like, just riffs off what a vampire could be and why it does what it does and its motivations. And it's just a big old list, and it's great. But, like, it was one of the first blogs that I read religiously. Um, probably the only ones. And, unfortunately, I stopped reading it, and now I have no idea where it is because I don't know how Blogger works. That sounds like Courtney Campbell's hack slash master, I believe. Yeah, um, I should be the one. I really hope it's hack slash. That was one of the first blogs that I read for ages. Oh, here it is, the Ecology series. I think I just found it. Uh, things, yeah, this is it. Thing, so he's got, yeah, he's got three different, or two different sections. So it says things, uh, nomenclature, so Zorba, Zorbo, Zorba's Dirt Bear. Description, small bear-like creatures with fangs, blah, blah, blah. Things that are known. Hungers for the flesh of humans, the ability to absorb traits of objects. Looks very much like a koala bear. And then it's got rumors and other whispers in the dark. Yeah, it's super long. There's like, I don't know, 15 here. Yeah, created by pickling koalas in mysterious alchemical concoctions. Um, chanting seven mately groans. Killing a Zorbo. So just like weird rumors, basically. Which is great. <laughs> you got it right. Good one. <laughs> the two of us are going to go off and do a, a long blog search for esoteric monster posts now. This has been Renfield's cast. Go check out basicredrpg.blogspot.com. See you guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs>